What do health entrepreneurs and intrapreneurs need to know about value-based care? My guest today is Gareth Delenti. He's an entrepreneurial and pragmatic business leader with a solid track record in launching and growing sustainable consulting practices as well as digital health ventures. He's managing partner at the Clarity Practice on a mission to accelerate and increase the impact of digital technologies in the UK health and public sector. And he's also a trustee of the Midlands Air Ambulance Charity. And I'm really glad because one of my friends is an air, is an air ambulance paramedic here in, uh, in Wales, actually. So really happy to, to have you on the show. Gareth, welcome. Thanks for having me. Really pleased to be here. The way I've understood value-based care is if you take a step back, you know, we, you've, you've said this already, but I just want to reiterate it. You know, when we go to see a doctor, typically uh, in the old fashioned way of thinking about it, and still, I mean, it still happens now. Let's say you go to your dentist or optician, you'll pay for each time you go to see them. Now, in a health system where it's either insurance funded, let's say, or someone pays at the end, doesn't matter whether it's you as the patient or the insurer or the, the national purse, if you like, the NHS, if you like, uh, someone pays. So instead of paying for that activity of each time you go and see uh, the doctor or the nurse, you pay uh, five pounds, let's say, I'm just throwing some wild, wild numbers out there. So instead of paying per activity, instead you're paying for successful outcomes, good outcomes that matter for the patient uh, as well as for the overall system as a whole. And you do it on things that are actually value-based. So you, you're trying to maximize the value, the health outcomes, the beneficial outcomes, if you like, but also in a sustainable way so that you're not, you know, costing an arm and a leg and, and basically the NHS falls falls apart and falls on its knees. So at the end of the day, as you said, it, it helps facilitate um, better care um, that actually aims. So I'm just gonna take one more step back and introduce this concept, which is critical for any anyone developing products and services in the health sector to appreciate, which is designing what I call, and everyone knows about this in the health sector, but just for those who don't, an, an evaluation framework or a logic model. So really clearly understanding what are the end outcomes that you wanna achieve and then working your way backwards in terms of what are the activities that actually matter and influence those health outcomes and how can you measure these? Um, and so if you understand that logic model and I go into depth into this in other uh, episodes, but if you understand how to, what is it that you're trying to achieve and how to measure them, you can use these as your pitch, not only to investors, but to those that matter, which are your potential partners in the health sector. If you can demonstrate that you're contributing and helping them to increase value-based care, then you're speaking the same language and have a better chance of being adopted and then scale later. Yeah. Do you want to come back on that? No, I think that's exactly right. I think um, it enables um, alternative uh, methods of treatment that may produce better outcomes or combinations of different treatments that will produce uh, better outcomes um i think uh, one of the um you know one, one of the kind of uh, examples may be that um th some patients do they do 
do they you know really need operating on so would the outcome of let's say having a surgery um orthopedic surgery uh be any better than somebody actually uh, exercising more in some cases and uh, undertaking you know a, a course of physiotherapy so obviously you know that's quite a basic um a basic uh, example but um but the outcome is the important thing and i i wanted to pick up just a, on on the statement you made about good outcomes because that's probably where the most difficult part of implementing value-based care is is the definition of those outcomes so um is the so, so at the moment the, the outcome measures for particularly in, in acute care can be can be a little bit blunt uh, in terms of um revisions readmissions um you know the amount of time that they spent in the recovery room the amount of time they spent recovering in the hospital bed um whereas actually you know uh, the patient-centered uh outcome measure will be a lot more complicated so what does good look like uh to a patient it, it, it's multifaceted because uh they may have a new hip but um, they might, might not be able to walk to the shops so how would you how would you measure that outcome and uh, how would you incentivize it a healthcare provider to, um, to 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 make that patient's quality of life better. That's the complexity of the of the implementation. So, in terms of uh, the NHS uh, paper on what does good look like for integrated care, I really want to. Um, that all sounds great. I'm just thinking from the perspective of the health entrepreneur, you know, yeah. it's theory. We know yeah. what, what they're looking for, but tangible, like how can we actually as entrepreneurs actually use that uh, vision of what good looks like to actually create solutions or bring those into the solutions we already have? Uh, for example, let's focus on any kind of health tech or digital health. How can we apply those principles to the work that we do? It's a good question. I think um, there are a lot of opportunities and challenges facing uh, established and new companies and uh, entrepreneurs in the health system coming as a result of the restructure. Uh, you know, the, the, the biggest one in my career history would be when the Health and Social Care Act 2012 was introduced uh, that uh, created a, a whole new structure to health and, um, and, and navigating that uh, in the early years of, of those systems being in place, quite challenging. So, first of all, I think what I wanted to, you know, the message I would deliver to uh, the overarching messages that I would deliver to health entrepreneurs would be that um, with change comes a lot of opportunity. And particularly for entrepreneurs and more flexible organizations, it brings opportunity because they can flex much more easily than. Uh, larger organizations it's much more easy to to innovate as an sme than is working for a you know a, a big technology company or a big consulting firm so uh, that brings an awful lot of opportunity um the other opportunity is an, an unprecedented um understanding that digital has to be at the center of all of the uh, the ventures so not um implementing digital solutions for, for the sake of it but it's around putting uh, digitally enabled services in place. So one thing, you know, that I've always kind of had this philosophy is that there's no 
technology out there that has any real inherent value no solution at all that has any inherent value it's the the way it's implemented and the change that it enacts that creates the value right and that means that um if an entrepreneur can find that that uh, magical place where they have a, a unique or innovative solution that solves an integrated care systems problem and they have an organization that's willing to enact change uh, to, to create value, then I, they would really be onto something, okay? In, in terms of um, uh, other, uh, you know, the, the, the kind of principles of, of, of where those opportunities are and the principles of how entrepreneurs can help, really putting patients at the center of their propositions is the way forward. So, uh, Many health systems, health platforms, health solutions are generally kind of built around the commissioning organization's needs. Okay, so uh, if you look at the, the, just the architecture of, of healthcare solutions and platforms out there now, uh, they're generally centered around the operations of the, of, the, of the host organization rather than the patient themselves. So there has to be a renewed focus on how the patient can engage in the health system and and, and what can be done to help them access services, uh, look after themselves, um, access care quickly and easily when they need to, um, and uh, reduce inequality in terms of um, those who aren't as able or comfortable to use digital technologies, um, still have um, the ability to access the services in a traditional way or with extra support. Uh, there are focuses on primary and integrated care. So as I said, there'll be a big shift of moving um, uh, services such as diagnostic services, some kind of minor treatment, such as you know, things like collagen injections and kidney dialysis and expect to see moving into, into primary care environments. Um, and uh, probably the biggest shift is around uh, uh, the, the intelligent use of data and data liquidity, which will underpin the foundations of all of the uh, integrated care systems that simply cannot operate without that. So, yeah. That's you know interesting. Um, apologies if I'm interrupting you, but you mentioned no, something okay. and I have to jump in. Um, you know, there's for the two things. So the first one is focus on patients. I mean, if you think about how um, health, it depends which part of the world you're talking about. So really does depend i mean you could be in certain countries and you go straight to the specialist let's say in a hospital or sometimes they've got a clinic as an outpatient clinic outside the hospital and then the physician goes and rents a, a space in the in the hospital itself so that's secondary and tertiary care as as we know it in other parts like here in the uk if you think of like a conveyor belt and entrepreneurs talk about funnels you go straight into uh, primary care first of all hopefully Ideally, you've got self-care going on before you even need to get into yeah. the uh, primary care system. And then they will triage and signpost you to the right uh, bits of the next step. And then the other way of thinking about it is, you know, we often talk about, okay, here's a hospital or a GP or a primary care practice. What's the, what's the catchment area? So we've got the health system in the middle and then we've got the population around it. And that in turn turns into what we'll get into in a moment, which turns into the way data is stored and goes into its silos, as, as we know. Yeah. The other way 
would be flip it on its head. And this is not revolutionary what I'm talking about, but essentially have, as you said, the per the patient or the person, they could be healthy if we're talking about prevention, at the middle. And then you've got various kinds of health and care services around them. And that's not just limited to clinical care, as, as you know. And I think that's the philosophy around integrated care. It's about how do you design services around a set population across a care pathway from prevention through to, uh, you know, terminal uh, illness and, and, you know, that kind of uh, palliative care as well at the end of mm -hmm. life. So um, I went on and on, but I want to get to this follow-up question. And this is my final question for you about value-based care, which is often in digital health. And, um, you know, we, we often need for AI, like artificial intelligence, we need a lot of data and we need data speaking to each other. Secondly, in the world that I'm in, which is public health and surveillance, uh, we need data again that links together, that gives us the insights about a population so we can design services better to improve the health of that population. All of these things are dependent on not only the technology allowing data to speak together, and for me, that is really not the problem. The problem is the agreements, obviously the confidentiality, the information governance, and the culture to allow shared data. And so that is a challenge. And, and my question to you is, can integrated or value-based care facilitate removal of this, this silo uh, approach? Yeah, I, I mean, it should do. and. Um... The, the thing I, I would say is it, it's an absolute necessity that those challenges and those barriers are removed. Uh, otherwise, integrate, uh, value-based care, integrated care is, is simply impossible to deliver because you'll still have silo-based uh, data sets floating around and, and uh, the whole you know, philosophy behind value-based care is that you have a, a, a longitudinal view of the patient, their needs, what's happening to them, and uh, and uh, the ability to measure their outcomes. So, you know, in short, uh, it should. But I think, as you've just uh, intimated there, the implementation of that will be extremely painful because there are numerous uh, challenges. And as you're rightly pointed out, their technology isn't the biggest one of them. So. There's uh, legislation uh, required uh, to enable uh, some of this change to happen. There's um, the ongoing kind of debacle about um, making uh, data sets available, um, you know, patient data available. So it can be linked and big data sets can be created. Uh, I think, you know, again, the, the media play a role and in that and it's not in educating the patients at all really it's really around scaremongering um and you know what i'd quite like to see as a result of the covid pandemic actually is that people are a bit more educated as to the power of the data that they that they create when they touch points of the health system and and the fact that uh you know the, the health the nhs is actually an ecosystem and and having data available to elements within that ecosystem progresses that you know um, the, the uh, quality of care the quality and, and, and the efficacy of, of uh, pharmaceuticals and other other uh, you know equipment and, and uh, techniques so um, data yeah data sharing is going to be absolutely essential so so the, the, the key you know technical issues would be would be around flow data flow and data liquidity um, the ability to, to have data being moved between organizations and 
um, and linked to create a longitudinal view of the patient. Yeah. The ability to then use that information at the point of care, uh, which again is still very challenging um, because uh, the applications that are in place across the health system are still based around the operations of the uh, you know, the constituent health organisations, not necessarily what's happening to the patient. So there are a number of shared care record projects, population health kind of solutions out there that, that, are, that are in place, but they're still silos of data. Um, and, um, yeah, uh, changes in, in legislation, information sharing uh, policies, changing public attitude towards sharing the data, probably the biggest challenges, I think. So integrated care absolutely needs to bring these, you know, bring these down, these, these uh, challenges down to, 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 uh, to operate correctly. So just one final follow-up about value-based care. Let's take the, um, put ourselves in the shoes of the startup, the entrepreneur, depending on what kind of venture they've got. Let's say you, you're coming into this field now and you want to help improve integrated care, value-based care specifically. Are there, do you have any examples of solutions or have you got any perspectives on solutions that products and services that a, a venture can be producing that can actually tackle this problem that we just talked about, which is flow, for example, uh, and, and linkage of data? Is there anything that a startup can do to actually facilitate elimination of these silos and facilitate uh, value-based care? Yeah, I think facilitating the the, the um, elimination of the silos is is uh, is ex you know extremely challenging. I think we will see some uh, start startups coming in with some really great solutions in terms of uh, you know making uh, access you know construction and, and use of data sets uh, uh, easier. My personal view is the place that that. Um, startups could add the most value is in uh, helping organizations to actually use the data because data science skills, the ability to analyze, understand and enact the lessons learned from data are pretty short in the health market and they're, you know, they're limited in a lot of markets, not just health. So ways of automating and using that technology, that, that data uh, would be ideal. I think, um, you know, um, although I, I'm not saying startups can't have a, a positive impact on flow and integration, things like that, there's a big dependency on uh, large technology vendors uh, to start talking and uh, structuring their uh, applications in different ways and their data sets in different ways. And of course, there's the legislative um, uh, issues and, and, and uh, policy issues to overcome again, which are kind of out of the reach of almost every organization, um, uh, kind of, uh, you know, digital health organization out there. I think if I were, um, you know, again, the other thing I would kind of um, point out is that um, uh, if you were launching a venture, uh, now it would be around centering around the patient. So how could you make the patient um, um, uh, engagement with a, with a, a value-based care system easier? Um, and, uh, and what could you do to help them? So even as much as something as simple as signposting is done badly now, so where do I actually go for care? How do I contact an organization? What are my entry points? Where are my alternatives apart from going to a urgent care if I'm in pain? You know, some of those things are just missing. 
because no one organization has uh, you know uh, has decided to create an integrated signposting you know, approach for example like a concierge through the health system I mean, essentially it's yeah. su supposed to be what the primary care system is supposed to be doing but they've mm -hmm. just got no capacity to go beyond the five ten minute appointment so mm -hmm. so yeah. having someone having something or someone in your pocket to help guide you through the process absolutely uh, gareth yeah. i'm going to come back to this um your ideas about problems that need solving by startups towards the end of this. So stick around. But I want to ask you now more about your work at the Clarity Practice. So let's focus on what is the problem that you're actually solving and then how, how are you helping? Okay, so um, the Clarity Practice um, uh, is, a, is a primarily a consulting organization. So we provide professional services um, in terms of uh, advice or project execution. We also have uh, some technology solutions um, where uh, consulting services uh, enabled by technology such as business intelligence or automation or communications platforms would allow us to uh, to provide a better service. So, so um, and we we started organically uh, in terms of um, you know listening to our clients and and. and what they required and what they weren't getting from incumbent consultancy services and the message from from them really in terms of the problems they have with um uh kind of dealing with traditional consulting firms is it's kind of two primary issues one is the traditional consulting model is based around um taking projects away from organizations executing delivering the <laughs> delivering an output of some or an outcome of some sort and then set on selling that work right and the problem with that model for the clients that we work with is that that doesn't support their organizational development because um you're taking learning away from them yeah so uh our clients wanted a combination of advisory and and professional services and mentoring so when we work with our uh, clients we, we we actually embed a mentoring strategy into the project as well so that we can identify key people in the organization and bring them along with us and help them to develop and uh, work with their uh, leaders then to, to identify you know ways that they could progress as individuals or as teams the second area really is that I, you know a long time ago i had this view that a lot of uh, professional services organizations tend to, to commentate on problems rather than actually fix them Right. So, um, you know, you, what, what I wanted the definition of success for the clarity practice to be was changing the way people are cared for in care homes rather than having a business case signed off by a board or uh, reducing, you know, the number of diabetics that are entering into A&E uh, because uh, their condition has progressed to such a degree that they can't, uh, they need urgent care. So I really wanted to launch a, an organization with uh, my, my business partners that is impactful across uh, the populations the health systems serve, um, the workforce, particularly now, because the workforce is overstretched and, and, and fatigued and there are better ways of working, around the, econ the economy as well. So uh, not just cost saving, because, you know, the capacity creation creating the capacity to innovate um, and um, uh, transform systems and, 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 and build 
strong economies around the health system so that uh, people can benefit from those is important. And then finally, climate as well. So um, transforming health services uh, has a positive and a negative impact on, on, on the climate and carbon production. And uh, we wanted to embed that as a key measure of some of the work we're doing. Okay. So that's really where we see ourselves. And then in terms of the kind of projects we do, you you we, we'll, we're at the moment, and, and as far as I can see for, forever, will we'll um, avoid commodity um, uh, system deployment or, or, or uh, advisory work. So um, you won't see the clarity practice involved in deploying an EPR at a hospital because it's just not us really. That's not what we're there for. And there are, there are consultancies in the market that are uh, better at doing that sort of thing than we would be. Um, what we're doing is we want to kind of bridge the gap between technology innovators, new and innovative technologies or, or solutions or ways of doing things and NHS organizations because NHS organizations, you know, they, they like to innovate, but it's very difficult for them to actually leverage that innovation when it's when it's identified and the reason for that is health systems are geared around uh, reducing cost reducing the possibility of failure uh, running large outcome or sorry output based implementations and when you're dealing with a, a bleeding edge technology and you want to run testbed projects there's a completely different philosophy required that, that is more around evidence gathering agility the ability to pivot and do something different, the you know the ability to embrace failure and try again, and essentially those are the projects that we're working on, where they impact care or they impact the workforce or they impact the environment. So, uh, so just to follow up on that, then um, I, if I understood correctly, I mean I love your approach and your your business model, and completely agree with the idea that you're essentially. Um, like a train the trainer model, you're going out there spreading, uh, adding value and empowering organizations to be able to continue to, you know, do the work that you start at the beginning. I mean, that's critical. It's not go in and go out and that's it, job done. Yeah. Um, yeah. But I, I wanted to ask you just to make sure I understood correctly. Um, I could come to you as a health organization or indeed any public sector organization, given you're talking about all these wider issues, which we'll get onto in a second. I could come to you for that because I've got problems in my organization and I need your help uh, finding innovative solutions for that. Uh, but I could also come to you as a startup or new venture, introducing mm -hmm. you to my innovation and then you helping me find partners. Is that how it, how it works? Yeah, so we're, we're agnostic in terms of the, the vendors. So it's, it's unlikely that we would uh, approach um, NHS clients and, and recommend solutions and, and you know take a take a margin or, or anything like that but what we do do is is bring the parties together to form testbed projects so if we've found something that we believe to be unique and we have uh, uh startups that we're working with um from the nordics you know sweden and the usa and various other places and we believe them to be unique and we think they've got a place in the nhs uh we have um a client base in the NHS that wants to see different technologies and want to run testbed projects. So we bring the organizations together along with the clarity practice who know how to run these, you know, these rapid innovation pilots and, and form an agreement 
that is then funded essentially by a central body or or, or by um, another organization to test that technology and the important thing is that that has to be based on the outcome for the patient or the health system so examples of where we've been doing this recently are implementing a new digitally enabled diabetes diagnostic service in the community uh, for, for diabetes and heart conditions um, reducing um, prison suicides yeah by uh, enabling data liquidity uh, and data flow between hospitals and primary care environments um, improving communications between gps and and uh, prescribers uh, and and uh, also uh, one area of note really around um, um, improving public health communications which i know is something that's you know, that's you know um the, you know important to you as an individual as well in that if the health systems are going to um, improve in any way in the future um and and stop being uh, care systems rather than health systems it's about educating the next generation of uh, you know service users and uh, nudging them towards healthy lifestyles so uh, so so essentially really our, our goal is to run impactful projects for our NHS organisations and sometimes they already have a technology identified and, and sometimes they don't and we'll find one for them. Yeah. I can see so much value in, in what you just described um, and uh, you know I'm, I'm gonna, we're going to talk about this uh, at the end of this but I'd love to invite you to come and speak to our uh, entrepreneurs as well and, and the incubator. Yeah. So yeah. I'll, I'll definitely touch base with you about that. So um, what's yeah. your story? I mean, you've, you've got a lot of knowledge uh, and experience and uh, I like your vision and, and the way you're delivering the clarity practice, but what's your personal story and what led you to, to launch it? Okay, so um, uh, I'm one of those people that doesn't like talking about themselves. I know a lot of people say that, so this, this may be a slightly awkward. Um, delivery but uh, essentially i'm from a technology background okay um i'm one of the uh, kind of geeky 90s kids who was always building pcs for their family members you know rather than going and buying one and uh, all they wanted to really do was work with technology uh so uh it just so happens that the first technology job i got was for a medical company called alliance medical who are still in existence and they're a you know, major provider of medical imaging services i was working in the security and uh, and um, networking kind of environment there uh, and just became more and more exposed and more and more interested to the medical part of that business uh, in terms of uh, you know enabling transfer of images and patient records across my networks and, and eventually got involved in the design of new uh, um, uh, medical imaging systems and uh, natural progression for that kind of early part of my career then was really to move into the commercial space to work for medical imaging companies in um, various guises right and uh, while working so, so I worked for Agfa and, and, and various other organizations okay? and then um, whilst working in that capacity I started coming up with ideas for the way products could be changed um, or um, new products and services that could be brought to market and that's really where my interest in in building new business arms or new product streams or service streams uh, came about and uh, I went to study um, 
business administration um, and uh, just uh, and, and to, to learn the fundamentals of how to launch and run a business. And uh, then worked essentially as, a, as a, I wouldn't like to say entrepreneur because I wasn't always the source of the ideas, but um, you know, I worked with people who had ideas to bring new products to market and test them. And I did that across CSC, uh, across various organizations. And I, I moved to Dr. Foster to help them to, to test a new um, set of, um, of uh, portfolio of products that they wanted to, to, to launch. And um, some were successful, some weren't successful. That's just the sort of nature of the game. And then essentially um, moved into consulting. And, and, and that's really where I became passionate about engaging with NHS organizations and, and, and seeing the impact of... Uh, digital technology and how it can change the way they do things and, and that's where I've been ever since and uh, I was a partner in a consulting firm previously and uh, just uh, decided that the time was right for me to try to create a, um, an organization that uh, of my own with my own uh, kind of vision essentially which is when we formed Clarity with two other partners that I've uh, worked with for a long time and uh, it's going well so far. <laughs> Good, thanks, yeah. thanks you were, yeah, I love it. Yeah, that. yeah, exactly, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah absolutely. I'm, I'm glad um, you're pursuing that. And actually, to be honest, you don't have to be the innovator, but being an entrepreneur or entrepreneur is working with ideas, identifying yeah. the problem. So you are the entrepreneur and the entrepreneur. Uh, yeah, yeah. And, and you know, I, th I think um, something that's missing from startups. And again, this is something I'd love to talk to your cohort about is that you, you know, there are lots of people with ideas and um, having ideas is never the problem with innovation because there are lots of people who have ideas. Uh, it's the, it's the execution that's always the issue, right? And um, that requires um, you to have an attitude that you might be wrong or you might fail, yeah, or, or fail in some part. Because if you spend the next three, four, five years building a product without engaging with the market, going through a method, going through a structured methodology to get feedback, to build that feedback into your products, um, to, to to pivot on the business model, which is probably more as important as a product, um, you're, you're unlikely to succeed. So. Um, so the methodology of bringing a product or a, or a service to market is it as important as the as the idea? Mm -hmm. Absolutely. One of the key things that um, I often find is you know entrepreneurs wanting to keep their ideas uh, close to their hearts and not sharing it with anyone, being afraid that someone's going to steal it. But you're absolutely right. Um, uh, yeah. So I, I want, the, yeah, go ahead. The point there, I think, I just make is that if it's that easy for someone to steal, then it's not defensible intellectual property, and um, and uh, you know it would have happened anyway. <laughs> so, I can't remember where I heard this. Someone said, "Okay, if you think it's that easy for someone to steal your idea and then go for it, unless it's patentable and that kind of stuff, yeah, go and try and convince someone to buy your idea." <laughs> <laughs> yes exactly yeah yeah yeah. Anyway. yeah and that's where the business model quite often comes into it as well when yeah. you know they can be unique and innovative yeah. as well and all you have to do is look at kind of paper transaction models yeah and and uh, think you know organizations like uber now who yeah. basically aren't doing anything unique they've just got the unique business model right so, yeah business model innovation that's a whole new subject that we could talk oh, yeah. about i love that yeah. too so yeah. um Okay, my favorite question to you, Gareth, which is, 
if you were going to launch your own health startup, the next one, and for me, health is not just healthcare. Remember that there's all sorts of things that are, that are health. What is the specific problem that you've seen in your adventures to date that you'd love to solve? Yeah, sure. That's a, an expansive question. I think, you know, I could have a whole episode on, on, on that, just answering that one question, I think. And, um, you know, I'm glad you, you highlighted the, um, the, the fact that, the, you know, the, the term of health need, is expansive and needs to be expanded because um, I would like, prefer my next startup to be indirectly related to health uh, because there are, you know, in my mind, two other major challenges facing society globally. And, and those are the climate impact to the climate crisis and um, social inequity. And I would very much like to work on a, um, a uh, area that um, on, on a venture that, that, that could combine those, those things to improve people's lives, which in turn improves their health, improves the, uh, improves the environment. Um, so it would, it would be in that area. I'd quite like to do a technology uh, rather than a consulting uh, organization. I'd like to be involved in technology company again. I think if uh, I were looking specifically at health, and I think the you know the only area where I have ideas <laughs> in terms of technologies at the moment would be around um, the the uh, democratization and distribution of data. So uh, I've kind of long had a bugbear that that data sets applications are built around organizations. I've got a uh, you know keen interest in understanding distributed data management. Um, so I would like to. You know, if, if I were doing a health technology company, it would be around uh, building an application with an entirely different architecture centered around the patients, decoupling data from organizations and, and applications and, and making them more patient focused and, and portable. 